The fear of what some call global warming or climate change continues to dominate the mainstream media. In fact, it dominates it more and more, it seems. More than 20 years ago, before the turn of the century, various scientists and politicians assured the people of the world that the point of no return when it came to climate change was upon us. The time frames they gave varied, and as the years passed and nothing happened, those time frames shifted farther into the future. Now, President Biden's advisors warn that unless the world shifts course before 2030, disaster will surely descend. And the world will become uninhabitable. Well, disaster will fall on the world whether then or sometime before or after, but it will not be the result of carbon buildup in the atmosphere. It will be the result of the judgment of God. Peter wrote in his second epistle that the earth and all the things that are in it will be burned up. That judgment of which Peter wrote is the counterpart to another disaster that fell on the world several thousand years ago. We have read about that disaster in the passage that is before us today. You cannot understand the world in which you live, the world as it is now, cannot understand it rightly unless you accept the biblical record of the great flood. One of the key requirements for the support of Darwin's theory of evolution beginning in the latter part of the 19th century was the abandonment of the historic philosophy in geology. Until the latter part of that century, the prevailing framework of geology was catastrophism. Geologists accepted the idea that at a point in the Earth's history, the world suffered a dramatic upheaval. Most geologists believed that the geological record supported the idea that the Earth was relatively young in cosmic terms and that the appearance of fossils was the result of some prior catastrophe. Most concluded it was the global flood. But with the acceptance of Darwin's ideas, the need arose to establish that the earth and the universe were very old. Suddenly the old ideas that prevailed for so long of catastrophism lost favor and belief in the global flood became passe. 
1869, 10 years after Darwin's Origin of Species was published, John Wesley Powell mounted an expedition to travel by boat down the Colorado River through its great canyons all the way to the Gulf of California. While the expedition suffered many losses along the way, Powell succeeded at great risk to those who were with him in traversing the inner gorge of what is now called Grand Canyon and emerged into the area that Lake Mead now covers. Powell led subsequent expeditions that were even more successful, and his studies of the rock layers in Grand Canyon led him to conclude that the canyon formed over a very long period of time, and not as many believed before then, as a result of a sudden catastrophe. The new philosophy that he developed gained the name of uniformitarianism and supplanted catastrophism as the way in which to interpret geologic evidence. In 1909, as a result of Powell's work, the United States Geological Survey came into being and continues to this day more than a century later. But during the 20th century, troubling events began to disturb this new philosophy of uniformitarianism. Strange kinds of fossils began to appear, such as the carcasses of woolly mammoths found in such well-preserved condition that contents of their stomachs could be examined. In 2015, scientists from the faculty at North Carolina State University reported that their studies of material taken from a fossil of a hadrosaur, a member of the dinosaur family, confirmed that the material was the blood of that animal. Initially, the scientific community greeted the announcement with skepticism, if not scorn, because they realized it would be impossible for such biomaterial to survive for 65 to 80 million years. So suddenly... Long-cherished scientific dogmas begin to wobble. Could it be that those ignorant creationists were actually right? And that dinosaurs roamed the world much more recently, possibly in the last 5,000 years? Believers in the traditional evolutionary dogma found it difficult to face the hard facts that the North Carolina state researchers published. Most evolutionists just ignored the evidence of some catastrophic change in the past to cling to their views 
that enabled them to dismiss the Bible. But the philosophy of uniformitarianism began to crack. And some geologists began to concede that a different form of catastrophism may have been responsible. They favored the idea of a comet or a huge meteor smashing into the earth. But the chapter that we have read today confronts us with the truth of what really happened. The event that took place after six centuries of Noah's life remade the face of the world. Two weeks ago, we considered Genesis 1 and the theme of beginnings. Today, we're going to consider this passage and the theme of worldwide catastrophe. Worldwide catastrophe. We have an, impeach, an unimpeachable witness to the events of which we have read. Let us turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew 24. Verse 37. The words of Jesus Christ. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And let us also turn to Luke 17. Luke 17. Verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Here's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And building on that testimony is the testimony of one of his apostles, Peter. Let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. Which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Notice that they were saved not by being in the water, but by being kept out of the water. 
If we turn over to the second epistle and to chapter 3. And verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That is uniformitarianism. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And then Peter goes on to argue that the world that is now is being preserved, kept in store to the day of fire. Now those testimonies, the testimony of Jesus Christ, and then of his apostle Peter, those testimonies are conclusive for anyone who professes to be a Christian. You cannot profess to be a Christian and deny the truth of the great flood, to deny that it actually happened. The only way in which to make sense of the fossil record and the other evidence we find in the world today is in the context of the great flood. For example, if you were to visit Petrified Forest National Monument or Park in northern Arizona, you could not understand the Petrified Forest without water. Information at the site admits there has to be water for petrification to happen. Now, the chief way in which people have sought to rec reconcile Genesis 7 with the idea of an old earth is to describe the flood as merely being a local one. But today we're going to look at three aspects of this worldwide catastrophe. And those aspects lead us to reject anything but a global flood. First of all, let us notice the flood's scope. Now here we consider two arguments. One is the method of the flood, and the other is the length of the flood. We read of the method in that which God predicted to Noah as late as seven days before the great flood began. Notice verse 4 of Genesis 7. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. The Lord said he would make it to rain on the earth, all over the earth, for forty days and forty nights. In all our experience, we have never known that length of rain at a single location, let alone all over the world. Some few years ago, there was a notable event that took place in Houston, Texas, where as a result of Hurricane Harvey, which largely stalled over the area, torrential rains besieged the area for days and days, and there was an incredible amount of flooding. Over 30 inches of rain fell in just a few days. 
in Houston. But not even that compares to the scope of the flood of which we read in Genesis 7. When the Lord spoke of a long period of continuous rain and of the opening of the windows of heaven, he spoke of a hard driving rain all over the world that did not relent for nearly six weeks. And at the same time that God opened the windows of heaven, we read in verse 11 of this chapter that the fountains of the great deep were broken up. That language suggests that there were deep reservoirs of water underneath the surface of the seas and underneath the surface of the land with one such fountain undoubtedly in the vicinity of what is now Grand Canyon. Such was the force with which these reservoirs ruptured that the water rose from them in huge geysers shooting miles into the atmosphere with the water then falling with tremendous force on anything in its path. So added to the rain, this Water from the fountains of the great deep ripped the surface of the earth apart and blasted gaping holes in that surface. The force of the water knocked trees flat and tumbled them into a raging mass. The force of the water deposited that mass of logs and other debris under tons of silt where the process of petrification, that is, turning wood into stone, began. For such events to happen in a localized area was impossible. Then I want you to consider as well how long Noah and his family experienced the direct effects of all the water. We read that they went into the ark a week before the flood began. And from the day of which we read in verse 13, in verse 11 through 13, from that day when the flood began, that was a specific day in history. We notice it in verse 11, the 600th year of Noah's life. He was 599 years old. In his 600th year, in the second month of that year, in the 17th day of that second month of that year, the same day, on that day, in his life, all of these events unfolded. For five months, 150 days, the ark rose upward and upward on the rising water and then floated on the surface of the worldwide sea. And then, five months to the day after the flood began, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. We read of that in chapter 8 and verse 4. And the ark rested, notice, in the seventh month 
on the 17th day of the month corresponding to exactly the day in the second month when all this began upon the mountains of Ararat. Now I tell you there has never been a flood in all history that took that long to recede before the tops of the highest mountains could be seen. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina, one of the strongest storms ever to strike the U.S. mainland, resulted in a disastrous flood in New Orleans. But even there, in the midst of that flood, people could see parts of structures that were above the waters. In the flood of Noah's day, all that was under the heaven was covered by up to 15 cubits of water, 45 feet or more of water. It was a worldwide event of catastrophic power. That's the scope of the flood. But now we come to the second aspect of the catastrophe, the flood's cataclysm. The flood's cataclysm. It's hard for us to imagine the kind of sudden and earth-shattering events, literally, that took place on that day in history. The crust of the world broke apart in such violent fashion that it has not to this day recovered. Every earthquake and every volcanic eruption, including the one that is now taking place in the Congo, is a reminder of what happened on that momentous day. We read in verse 18 of chapter 7 that the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. The ark being designed in such a way that it could not be capsized by the force of tidal waves in that time. The forces of those tides would have generated huge waves that obliterated every trace of the world that then existed. I often think of that. The world that Adam and Eve knew. That's why you can never find the Garden of Eden. Because the world that Adam and Eve knew, along with those who came after them in that world, was gone. It was buried. The highest hills were covered. And the pressure of the water accomplished extensive changes in the earth's surface. The force of the water pushed up mountain ranges and carved deep trenches in the oceans. And we read here that everything that was on the dry land died. Everything. Except for the eight people and the animals that were inside the ark. We read of the catastrophe in verse 23, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle 
and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. No one else left alive. Conservative estimates are that as many as a billion and a half people died on that day. For a short time, some of the bodies at least would be floating on the surface of the water in the debris. But soon, everything sank out of sight and tons and tons of mud buried all of the debris. There was not a trace left of the first world except for the remnants that were buried. God poured out judgment upon sin then as surely as he will bring another worldwide catastrophe to pass on the day of Christ's appearing. What was the result of the great flood? That's the third thing that we consider the flood's legacy. The words of ancient witnesses from the world following the flood testified to the fact of the great flood. It's striking that in many of the people groups that developed after the flood, especially after the Tower of Babel, that there are stories about a worldwide flood. Now they are not always accurate according to the statements of the scriptures, but that in almost every culture there was a story of this worldwide flood. Years ago, when we were visiting Grand Canyon, we were in a visitor center and we were looking at some of the exhibits and they had a story from the Native American tribes from years past and their tradition was that there had been such a flood and something like an ark in which humanity was preserved. The story of Gilgamesh, a notable epic from the ancient world, deals with just such events. The testimony is that God will judge sin. We read that testimony in Second Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And we could continue on to read about the Lord knows how to reserve 
the unjust to the day of judgment and to preserve the godly. The testimony, the legacy of the flood is that there is salvation in the ark of safety. The legacy, of course, is the radical change in the world that took place after the flood. As the water evaporated after the great flood, it served to cool the world dramatically. And as the dry land appeared and this cooling process was going on, huge sheets of ice formed and covered much of the continents that emerged from the flood at both extremes, north and south. Eventually, those ice sheets retreated and the world assumed a more regular or temperate climate so that the people who were in the ark came out into a world that was new to them. They could not recognize it. They did not recognize it. Those who were in the ark survived. They lived. They were the only people, the only people to see the new world, the second world. The words at the beginning of chapter 8 bring comfort to us, where we read, God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. God remembered Noah. What a wonderful statement it is. He remembered every living thing that was in the ark, all those animals, God remembered them. Because that ark was to become a vivid picture in Scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Those who took shelter in the ark found protection from the fury of God's wrath that produced that worldwide catastrophe. So those who take shelter in Christ, the ark of safety, find deliverance from the wrath of God. When Noah and his family opened the ark and left it after being in it for over a year for life in a new world, they began with an act of worship that required the shedding of blood. They heard the message that God gave them of the sobering experience through which they passed. All those people that they knew, all those people who mocked the warnings of Noah in that world before the flood, they were gone. And those eight people recognized that salvation was only 
through the shedding of blood. And that reality pointed toward the coming of the Redeemer. For God's mercy was such in the time of the great flood that he preserved the line through which the Redeemer would come. And the Redeemer would come to sacrifice himself to make an end of his people's guilt forever. So the judgment of God in the flood highlighted the way of escape from judgment. And that way was in the ark. And that way today is always and only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Worldwide catastrophe. Not seen the end of it. It's not going to be the result of global warming, I can tell you. It's going to be the result of the intervention of God's judgment on the world of the ungodly. So there is great urgency for us to trust in Christ, to shelter in the ark of safety, and to know in the ark of safety that we shall find deliverance from the wrath of God forever.